0: How can I become more confident in evangelism? How can I get better at sharing the gospel? That's where we're going this morning. And so I titled the sermon just Sharing the Gospel. I want to hear a sermon on sharing the gospel. Romans 1.16 is our anchor passage. We're going to be in the next eight weeks. We're going to be all over the scriptures. Many, many verses that we're going to cover. But this is kind of our anchor passage for this morning. If you want to turn there. And then just join me in prayer as as we dive into this. This topic in these passages Lord we delight to be yours we thank you even now as we open your holy word that you are here present with us through your spirit you will help us you will open our eyes you will illumine your word you will take my words and land them like seed in soil prepared by your hand to do what you have ordained to happen Upon the preaching of your word, we thank you for your work, Holy Spirit, in this place. And we pray, Father, as you move and work, that you would help us to gain courage, to feel more equipped and competent when it comes to sharing our faith and testifying to the good news of the gospel. Lead on now, we pray, Lord, and be glorified as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin with Romans 1.16. It's one of my favorite verses, but you've probably heard me say that about countless verses. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, here's a question. Why? Why? What's the source of his his lack of shame in the gospel? The source is not Paul. Don't miss that. I'm, I'm a I'm competent. I feel like I understand it plenty. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've shared it a ton. No, that's not what he's saying. I am not ashamed of the gospel for, there's our, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Basically, he's saying to the nations, there is no place where the gospel can be proclaimed and it not be powerful. The gospel is is the power of God for salvation. That's the source of his confidence. It's so important for us to see this. Paul was bold. In fact, he prayed regularly that the believers in these churches that he planted would pray for him, that he would be bold, that he would have this confidence, not in himself, but in the power of the gospel to proclaim it as he ought, he says the power of the gospel, we could spend days just with the people in this room testifying to that power. Could we not? Sinners who have been radically turned inside out, given life from death, darkness to light, literally about face changes in life think of the stories. As elders, we get to delight in this. Every time we do membership interviews, people come in and they share the power of the gospel. What God has done in their heart, in their life, through the good news of Jesus Christ. That power goes with you wherever you go. The power of the gospel is in your workplace. It is in your family gatherings. It is on vacation when you sit next to someone on a bus. It's there. The question is, will you tap into that power? Will you be unashamed, like Paul, to let it loose in those places and watch God work? One of the things I've run into in my own life and I've seen in the church is what i would call evangelistic paralysis there is a uh, almost a paralysis that sets in it's it's so intimidating to evangelize it can be so overwhelming so scary that a lot of times christians will say well listen you know i just don't have the gift of evangelism that's just not me i'm just not wired that way i'll let someone else do it and here, here's what we've just got to conclude That doesn't happen for the Christian. That's not an option for us. We are called to evangelize. We are called. In in fact, you're not called to become a Christian and then wait 30 years to gain confidence and then evangelize. You are sent out from the moment you are saved. You're an evangelist. You're a witness. We all are. So how do we overcome this, this intimidation that kind of keeps us quiet and may even be interpreted as the idea that we're ashamed of the gospel. One of the reasons I believe we can become paralyzed is simply a lack of love, that we just lack love for the lost. If we understand how significant, how serious lost people in their condition are, we will be stirred to love, but but sometimes we just don't think of it. We don't actually realize there are people who are living and breathing and walking in the dark all around us. And if they die, they will go to hell forever. They will perish in their sins. We have life. If if this was medicine, we have the miracle cure. It's in our pocket. Lack of love. Do we love the lost? Oh, a prayer to pray is, Father, break my heart for those who don't know you. Pray, Lord, stir in me a longing for lost people to see you, to know you, to be saved by you. The second piece of this is a lack of prayer. One of the reasons we don't have the love for the lost that we have is because we fail to pray to that end. One of the exercises I love to do regularly with young people and small groups all the way through Identify those in your life who you know that God has placed you in relationship with who are unsaved. Who who do you know that does not worship Jesus as Savior and Lord? I'm not talking about unchurched necessarily because you can be churched and totally unsaved. I'm talking about people who don't bow before Christ as their Lord and Savior, who don't live their life with Jesus on the throne, Who do you know in your family, in your relationships, your workplace, your neighborhood? Make a list and then just start to pray. Start to pray, Lord, I pray for these people. And here's prayers that we can pray. Open their eyes to see Jesus. He can do that. We believe that God is free to do such things. We we can pray this. Change their heart, Lord. Turn them from their sin. Turn them to Christ. We can pray, put people in their lives, Lord, that would shine bright. We can pray that. And here's the prayer that will blow your mind. When you pray that, God will often use you to answer your own prayer. Lord, use me to shine. Give me opportunities for gospel witness. Give me a chance to to share the light, to, to, to speak a word of truth and encouragement. Create Opportunity for me, even this week. And the more you pray, the more you will you will spot those opportunities, and you'll be ready for them because you've been praying. All of a sudden, you're talking to your neighbor, and you have this moment where, like, okay, there's a fork in the road. I can actually take this conversation and go a little deeper, or I can be busy and say, "Hey, see you later." Right? If you've been praying, and the love of God is stirred in your heart for that person, all of a sudden that conversation can push toward Christ. So, a lack of love will lead to evangelistic paralysis. A lack of prayer will certainly do that. Another one is this: a fear of offense or rejection. We live in a day where tolerance is a big word, uh, <laughs> but rarely practiced. Honestly, I, I was just struck by this, especially the political movements of late. The, the you know we're we're against. Uh, fascism but we're 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 using fascist tactics Uh, we're we're against intolerance but we're really intolerant i don't understand this but when you evangelize you will run eventually you'll run into someone who is quite offended by what you're saying by what you're suggesting it will happen it's going to happen it's not if it's when in fact i'll show you listen to what peter says Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, that is, obey the Great Commission. Go boldly. Obey Him. Speak up, right? Honor Christ as Lord and as holy, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, don't miss the words here. Jenny and I were we're talking about this the other day. Look at the posture. What are we doing, Christians? We're on the defensive. We are making a defense. Who's on the offensive? Unbelievers. There's, a, there's an attack that's coming, and Peter just assumes it, right? Do your defending, your testifying, your speaking of gospel truth. Hey, why do you take that position on this issue? Well, this is, this is a biblical position. I, I stand on the word, right? Do it with gentleness and respect. Oh, what a light would shine right now in the current cultural climate as Christians can stand gently and respectfully making their, their statements, making their case, even disagreeing. Having a good conscience so that if you're slandered, no. When you are slandered, it's going to happen if you're a faithful witness. When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. They might throw mud, but it's not going to stick. Why? Because you're not a sinner? No. Because you have treated others with love. You have loved them with truth, with, with respect, with care, and gentleness. So fear of offense cannot keep us pinned down. We've we've got to assume this. I did a funeral here about a year ago, and I preached the gospel, and there was a massive uproar from extended family members who absolutely were so highly offended that I would preach the gospel at the funeral of a man who was a member of our church for nine years who loved Jesus. It's going to happen. We will be reviled, we will be slandered for the proclamation of the gospel. Welcome to the Christian life. That's who we are, that's what we do. We got a long history of brothers and sisters who have carried the torch before us and we are in that work as well. Confusion can sometimes lead to paralysis. Confusion from misleading or formulaic evangelistic techniques. This is tough, you know, sometimes, and and I, I say this with care, Sometimes God will use even flawed evangelistic presentations. Some of you may have even come to know the Lord from a presentation that someone shared with you that began like this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay? Now, that's true. The problem is, is that it can be quite misleading. Because if the person is like, is that the plan like he had for Job? And then you're like, well, actually, uh," you see what I mean? We don't want to reduce coming to Christ as just a walk in the park, right? Coming to Christ is unbelievably challenging. It is self-denial. It is take up your cross. It is repent of your sins. It is not just, hey, it's all good. Come on in. It's all going to be great. All your promises, all your dreams fulfilled, The wonderful plan he may have for your life might include martyrdom. And yeah, that could be his best for you. And in that, he would protect and provide and show himself in unbelievable ways. So let us not mislead people to a false version of rosy, you know, stained glass. Everything's perfect. No, the church is a place where people who are hurting come and find hope and encouragement. And they go out with confidence, but they go out into challenge. One of the things I like to do is emphasize, as I share, the Christian life is truly the most challenging life you could ever choose. It is the hardest way to live you could ever choose. And at the same time, it is by far the most satisfying, the most joyous, the most fulfilling life, and it never ends. Right? So when we share the gospel, yes, God loves, yes, He has a wonderful plan, and yes, you may hurt and you may suffer, and His plan for you might involve all kinds of challenges and trials in this life. We are never given escape from our, tri- our trials and challenges. We are given comfort in the midst of them. Romans 8:28 has a context. Read the verses around Romans 8.28 and you'll see how important it is to interpret faithfully, to share the gospel in a full sense. There is a watershed difference in our day between a man-centered gospel and a God-centered gospel. In fact, I mentioned this last week. One presentation of the gospel, God is just swooning over us. He's just so amazed at how awesome we are. And he just, he just is so, it's like he glorifies us. That's man-centered gospel. He can't help but just be so just overwhelmed by how cool we are. And he just wants us to be with him forever. That's how awesome we are. Man-centered. Spot it. Call it what it is. Who is most glorified in the gospel I share? Answer always, God. God. The gospel is not about sinners, ultimately. It is about God. It is about the glory of God. So we preach a God-centered gospel. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible gives us. God is glorious. His love is amazing. We don't deserve it, and yet He still loves us. How amazing is God? That's a God-centered gospel. You see the difference there? Mm. it's a watershed difference. So confusion over these presentations can kind of filter in, and and all of a sudden you're just like, I don't know quite how to do this. I don't know what to say, how to share this. So let's push through and and resolve together to be God-centered, both in the way we live and the way we speak of the good news of the gospel. Lack of confidence. This is a real issue. I have never met someone who evangelizes who can be like? I'm just totally confident. I, you know, they can ask anything they want. I got an answer, right? Even Ray Comfort. If you were to interview him, he would say, "I depend upon the Lord. I need His help. I, I'm I'm not 100% confident. I've done this for a long time. Put no confidence in the flesh, right? that's that becomes pride." Evangelism is not a formula. It is not just a, a thermostat. You push the button, program it in, and then boom, someone gets saved. That that's not how it works. And we are dependent every step of the way. But we can be confident. In fact, listen to what Kevin DeYoung said. I love this. He said, "The success of our mission does not depend upon the genius of the sower, but upon the power of the seed." You see what, what he's saying? God doesn't look around and say, I'm going to take all the smart people and use them to do evangelism. He says, I'm going to take all my people and commission them to evangelize to the ends of the earth. And as they take the seed of the gospel and say, I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel, it's the power, not me. It's the, the power is in the gospel. It's in the seed. Look at the gospel and you will find confidence. If you're ever wondering who the greatest evangelist on earth ever was, his name is Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Wow. Think of that. When you're evangelizing Christian, just sit there and remember It is the Spirit of God who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. This person is unable to respond but for the work of God. And my obedience to share the good news of the gospel is is depending upon the Spirit as well. So, Lord, I'm gonna speak, but I can't save them. Otherwise, we fall prone to this almost manipulation approach where you just try to, you try to stir people into this emotional response or you try to, try to trick them into saying something or, or put pressure on them or scare them. No way. Love them. Speak the word. Let the seed fall in their life and then let the Spirit of God do what only He can do. When a farmer sows the seed in the field, what does he do when he's done sowing the seed? He sits on his porch, and he has some iced tea. God makes the seed sprout, germinate, and grow. Not the farmer. He's called to sow the seed. God is the one that makes it come alive. Only God can do this. And then, in case we were wondering, the words, Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. So if it was ever about the person proclaiming the word, every single person who heard Jesus evangelize would have been saved because he's perfect. He's the perfect evangelist. And there were many who did not believe, even when they heard the gospel from Jesus himself. What does that mean? It means it's not on us. It's not my responsibility to make someone be saved. Only God can save a dead soul. It is on us, it's on all of us to carry the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, to speak and share and point. The last reason I think that we can be paralyzed is a lack of preparation. And I think this may be the one that that I've run into more often than any. It's just, you know, I want to be better at evangelizing, but, but how do I get my mind around it? Where do I begin? And one of the hardest things in evangelism is our memory, right? Because typically, we're not like, okay, there's a gospel moment coming in five hours. I've got time to cram, okay? I'm going to prepare. I'm going to have all my stuff ready. I've got my pamphlet, you know, my pocket Bible. Okay, it's lunchtime, work, coworker. Here it comes. I'm ready. I don't think that happens. At least my experience is that that rarely will happen. Typically, the moment is there, and you're like, oh, gospel moment lord help me what do i say how do we go how do we move what passages what bible texts? what scripture verses do i have a bible if i do great if i don't what do i do what have i memorized what have i prepared so what i want to do this morning is is do my best to take the four categories of biblical gospel presentation and make them as easy to remember as possible so that we can be prepared in the moments as they come up and you can take the sermon take your notes and build them out write the scripture references in and then just take that with you and, and really put it to memory as best you can what we want to do is answer the question what is the gospel what is the gospel because i mean for a christian this is the most important question that we could ever answer both personally and for the purpose for which we live to evangelize the lost and glorify God? How would you answer this question? In a very concise way. Well, here's what I'd like to suggest. GSCC, okay? Now, this is an easy one to remember. It's our acronym as a church, Good Shepherd Community Church. We can remember that, okay? If you, if you forget, just remember, like, well, where do I go to church? Oh, Good Shepherd Community Church, GSCC. You're gonna have an acronym you can remember now, okay? It starts with G. It always starts with G, God. The gospel we share has to begin with him, not us. That's man-centered. If it starts with him, sin makes a whole lot more sense. Okay, so God, we begin there. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 is an excellent verse to go to. Bring my sons from afar, God says, and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, and then he says, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God is creator, but he creates with a purpose. All of mankind, everyone who is alive, from the tiny little baby in the womb to the oldest person on the earth, That person has been created by God and has a purpose. God has given that creation a purpose. That purpose is what? Whom I created for my glory. My glory, God says. You exist to glorify me. That is the purpose of your existence. Okay, so we begin to lay the groundwork for this. Everybody that's alive, everyone you're going to speak words of life to, exists ultimately for the glory of God. This helps us understand why sin is falling short of the glory of God, right? God is the creator, He is the authority. We breathe His air. This is His earth, this is His universe. He is owner, and He is the one to whom we will give an account. He is the one who sets the rules. It is his image that we carry and his attributes that we are called to reflect in this world. It is why when injustice happens, we cry for justice. Why? Because God is just. It is why we have this, this inclination to conviction of, our, of our, our, our conscience when we do things that are inconsistent with who God is. That is called sin, right? So all of this helps us understand the very foundation of the gospel. God is good. God has created. God has rights over all of his creation. And we are accountable to him. We carry his image. Not even the angels carry his image. We do. And we are called to shine his glory. The Ten Commandments, Ray Comfort almost always goes there. I think they're helpful. Uh, they're great conversation points so do you think you're a good person he asks yeah i'm a pretty good person almost everybody these days has a great self-esteem right i feel really good about myself because my teachers told me i'm a winner all the way through school so you're a good person okay yeah well do you have you obeyed the ten commandments absolutely yeah just like in jesus day right all these i have kept from my youth well, let's check them, he says. I like how he says, let's check him. Let's begin with that. How many lies have you told? Well, I've done that. Okay, so you're a liar. Have you stolen anything? Well, yeah, when I was younger. So you're a thief. You see what he's doing? Little by little, he's breaking apart this facade of goodness, and people begin to realize the very purpose of the law. The law is given to reveal sin, not to save none of us can do those not christians not anybody we can't live perfectly like jesus and so we begin to confront the reality of our sin if you ever begin evangelism and you don't start with some degree of god and his holiness you'll you'll really struggle to interpret why sin is that big of a deal why is sin so wrong This helps us see this. So then we go from God, from the G, to S, sin, Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's important when you're sharing your faith to put yourself in the mix. We're in this thing together, right? Pastor included. I'm not holier than thou. I'm not here judging you. I'm just saying we're all in this boat. We're in trouble. We have all sinned, all of us. Now, for some people, this is like, this is news in our day. What, what do you mean? I'm a sinner? I mean, I, what have I done that's really that wrong? I haven't killed anybody. It can't be that bad. So it, it, it's helpful to set the backdrop of holiness. The standard is God, His perfection, His holiness. That's what He calls us to, and then we fall short of that. We don't glorify God. In fact, we glorify ourselves. We place ourselves on the throne that is reserved for God. We say, my will be done, not your will be done. I want to live for me. I want to be sovereign. I want my will, my choice, my freedom. Nobody tells me what to do. Sin. Sin. For the wages of sin is death. We have worked hard in our sin and we have earned. Our wages are going to be paid by a just God. What have we earned? Death. And it's... It's on the way. We're all of us dying. Some of us are a little farther along than others. We're all fading toward the grave. Sometimes people say that you shouldn't talk about anything that's fearsome like hell or death because that's scare tactics. And I say, that's totally wrong. That's totally. You don't need a Savior if you're not afraid of sin, death, and hell. That, you, you have to go to these places. It's not scare tactics to tell people what is real. It's loving. It's loving. Jesus had more to say about hell than any other New Testament writer, a New Testament person. The consequences of our rebellion, separation from God, physical death and eternal wrath, these things must be in view. If God doesn't do something to step in and and save us, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. We are rightly condemned lawbreakers. We are, the word I like a lot is rebels. We, are re, we have rebelled against him. And we cannot save ourselves. One of the things I've done often in evangelism is go to attempts by the world, religion. What is the difference between religion and what the Bible teaches, which is relationship? Well, religion says you have to work, you have to do good things, you have to be a good person, And maybe if you're good enough, you can kind of offset the sin part. Huh. We cannot save ourselves. It says in the Bible, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The more you try to be a good person, the more you prove you're not, if you're honest. This is Martin Luther's undoing. He he laid on his bed at night after trying to be a good monk and do all the things. He realized it didn't even come close to outweighing the offensiveness of his sin. You can't be good enough to save yourself. It distinguishes the difference between religion. Oh, just come to church, right? Bring your Bible. Be a good person. Do good things. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is we're dead meat, and if God doesn't step in, we all go to hell. We need a Savior. We we need a Savior. We have to get to that place. We are desperately needing a Savior. And sometimes this, this could take multiple conversations. Sometimes people just will never get here. They just refuse it. No. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a sinner. I I don't see this at all. And you just pray. And you plant the seed and say, Lord, I trust you. I'm just going to keep looking for opportunities. Many times when the Spirit of God begins to land His regenerative work in the soul and begin to cause someone to live, this is the first thing they feel. The weight of their sin. They realize how offensive their sin is to god how hopeless they are without him and they begin to say i need a savior this really is a problem when you put it that way when you when you read those verses i i see what you're saying and then you run to the cross right so christ god sin christ Christ. And 1 Timothy 1:15 is a new verse that I am using here today. I think it's a great just short concise little verse. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 1:15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. Is it righteous people? Good people? Upstanding citizens? People that are probably worth saving? Good enough? Boasting about, well, I did a few good things, you know? No. The gospel is not good news to righteous people, Jesus is saying. I didn't come to to save the righteous. I came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. It's great news when you understand how serious a situation you're in. Hmm. John 3.16 is a favorite of mine. Don't ever shy away from this verse because it's so popular. There's a reason it is when people hold it up at football games, right? Or they used to be able to do that. Hopefully they'll still do it if it ever starts again. For God so loved the world that he gave God, the Father, set his love upon the world because we deserved it? No. We're rebels, lawbreakers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, pride, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. The list goes on and on, right? He didn't love us because we were lovely. He loved us because He is lovely. And He loved us. How? He gave His only Son. What does that entail? He gave. He gave. He sent His Son to do what? To die on the cross. That whoever believes in Him, is everybody good? No. Only those who believe. It's it's a subgroup. The good news goes to the ends of the earth, but only those who believe will not perish but have everlasting life. So if you don't believe, you will perish. You see what we're seeing? There's so much in these verses. If you do believe by God's grace and the Spirit's enabling power, He will have eternal life. You won't perish in your sins. You'll be with Him forever. What a verse. Now, the work of Jesus Christ. When you think about the cross, always remember what led up to this. No sin. He obeyed. He never sinned. Jesus never sinned, which qualified him to take the cross and pay for the sins of others, not his own. He obeyed perfectly, something none of us can say we've ever done. He was the only man to live on the face of this earth without sin. And then, his wrath-satisfying death, his atoning death, he paid the price. He paid the fine as Ray said for our sins and he was buried and after three days he rose from the grave victorious. He conquered death and sin and hell and Satan and he reigns and he lives. It's important to have these things in view as you share about Jesus and and what's amazing is how many people have heard just aspects of this. Well God sent his son to die. That's great but You've got to embrace it as not just a piece of knowledge, but as something more. There's something more here. Which leads us to the fourth letter. Commit. God, sin, Christ, commit. There needs to be a response. We have to lead people at some point along the way to a place where we say, okay, so what are we going to do with it? So, so, so where does that leave us? First John 1.9, what a promise we have here commit. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John just called us liars if we deny our sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a mind-blowing reality. What a promise this is. That God would love us in this way, that He has accomplished a salvation that is free, that He offers to us freely. You don't have to earn it. The work is already done. He said it is finished on the cross. It is finished, paid in full. Receive the gift that God has given. This is repentance and faith right? Repent of your sins. Repentance is a turning. It's a turning from my way, my sovereignty, my will be done, my sin, my uh, lordship of my life, and a turning to Jesus to embrace the King. You are my King. I want to look like you. I want to sound like you. I want to walk like you. I want to be like you. I want to be Christ-like. Save me. Save me. Be my Savior, be my Lord, be my treasure. He's not just a Savior, He's my Savior. You want to lead people to this. It's not just a knowledge about He died for some sinners, but He died for my sins. That's a huge difference. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, His atoning work accomplished the payment for sins I've committed My sins, all of them. Wow, what a simple verse this is! (laughs) The gospel is amazing. Look at the reality here: eternity in the fires of hell, or believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's love. That's grace. That's the gospel. You can sum it up with that. To believe, to trust in him, to rely upon him, his work. He is my hope alone in this life and the next. And to lead people to that promise. What a promise that is. Embrace the king. Let him be your Lord, your savior, your hope alone. Hmm. Sometimes I like to, there's, there's all kinds of ways to conclude. You, you often will want to say, well, do you have any questions? What questions do you have? There's almost always questions. Don't be afraid to ask that, right? You want to try to engage those questions. And your, your goal here is to point them to the Word of God as best you can. And if you don't know the answer, that's okay. Give me a call. Text me. I can help you. Or an elder, right? The, the goal is engage in dialogue. And then at some point, try to discern, is this person still a rebel at heart? Or is God doing a work and beginning to turn their gaze toward Jesus? Is there something he's stirring in them? Sometimes I'll even ask this. Do you feel, even now, in this place this morning, that God is stirring in your heart as you've heard these truths? Maybe you're here and this is the first time you've heard this message. Maybe you're here and you've heard it a thousand times. But for some reason this morning, it's like God just threw the switch on in your heart. Run to him. Run to him. Embrace the king. Receive the free gift of forgiveness. Trust him as Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins, right? You want to point people to a decision, a commitment. Sometimes you ask, well, you're going to do that today? Is that something you feel like doing today? Well, maybe, you know. My preference is to send people to, to, to do that work with God together by themselves, just, just with, with them and the Lord. Express it in your own words. So often new believers are very scared to pray. Well, how do I say it? I don't, I've never talked to I don't I know how to pray. And it's super scary if you're around other people. So I just tell them, listen, put it in your own words. Tell them that, that you see Jesus and, and, and you want him to be your Savior and your Lord, your King. You're sick of sin. You want to be free and forgiven, right? And then you trust the Lord to accomplish what He can only do in that work. Sometimes people are like, I want to pray like right now. Let's pray. Can we pray right here, right now? Yeah, let's do it. And then you just kind of walk them through these truths. God, I believe that you exist. I admit I'm a sinner, right? God, sin, Christ. I trust in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I commit to follow Him. Amen. It's so simple. It's it's just amazing how simple it is to lead someone in that response of commitment to God and the gospel. Make sure they have a Bible. If they don't have a Bible, again, don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. Right? Point him to the book of John, the gospel of John. It's the best place to begin for a new believer. Start reading through the gospel of John and let's talk. Let's follow up, right? Let's keep this conversation going. I want to help you. Do you know any other Christians in your life that can help come alongside and walk with you? Right? Because we're about not just evangelism, we're about discipleship. The work just begins at conversion. Fan that flame. See people grow up in Christ and be holy increasingly. God, sin, Christ, commit. Okay, GSCC. So there's no more excuses, okay, that I can't remember the, 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 the four basic biblical movements of the gospel. You've got them down. If you can remember our church, you can remember that. For a response this morning, just a few things. One is just to say this. Pray this prayer. Pray it regularly. Lord, make me bold. Make me bold, not timid. Make me a bold and faithful witness. Lord, make us, as as members of Good Shepherd Community Church, make this church a light. We don't simply exist for the people inside these walls. We do, but that's not only. Our mission is to go to the ends of the earth. Make me bold and faithful. And here are four points to it. So just to, to simplify it down, if you're thinking about a coworker at work, pray, begin to pray, begin to pray. Lord, I pray for this person. We've got family members in our own family on Jenny's side that desperately need Jesus. Pray for them, pray for them. And then point the conversation to Christ. Find ways, find, find opportunities. Hey, let's get lunch. i like to talk about this. Have you ever thought about heaven? What is your take on death? Uh, Talk to me about Jesus. What's your thing about church? Right? Somehow or another, try to direct a conversation that will lead to spiritual things more than just the mariners, right? Or the Seahawks. Be purposeful. The more you pray, the more you're going to see that opportunity, that moment to point. And then plant the seeds of the gospel. You don't have to do everything all at once. Remember, God is sovereign. He's the one who saves. So, do what you can in the moments that you have to point the conversation to the Lord and then plant seeds of the gospel. You can do this by sharing your own testimony of what he's done. When you do that, include the gospel. Don't just have some inspiring story that Oprah could share, right? Talk about Jesus. Talk about sin. Talk about how he saved you and forgave you. You repented of that sin. But plant the seeds of the gospel and here's the thing that we, that we do then then trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Pray. Lord, I, I, tried, I tried my best. I, I didn't remember everything, but I, I did share a few things, and I'm gonna trust you to, 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 to take that and, and, and make it fruitful. May it lead to another conversation. Maybe, maybe I was able to get the whole GSCC in view, and now, Lord, I just pray that you would cause that seed to sprout. Do what only you can do, Lord. Lord. Change their heart. Open their eyes. Bring them to life. Pray, pray, pray. Let's pray. Lord, as we think about this glorious gospel, we can't help but be in awe that you would love us like this. Every time I see it, I marvel. Every time I hear it, my heart leaps for joy that you would save me, a sinner a man unclean a rebel who does not deserve this gift of grace and love i praise you for your goodness and grace in my own life and i praise you for the way that you've worked in countless lives here in this room and lord i pray even now that you would stir and work in people right here in this place who may not have yet bent their knee before jesus as lord as king as savior i pray Father, you would stir them to see the seriousness of their sin and rebellion. I pray that they would give an accounting of their life and their worship and their, their soul, who is on the throne in their life. And I pray that they would turn to Jesus, flee from sin, and run to Him and embrace Him as Savior and Lord and King. I pray that you would accomplish what only you can accomplish in the preaching of your word. Bring life and light, and freedom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.